We have another great interview for you today with Hajar Musanif. She is a PhD in computer science and artificial intelligence, and she is a professor at a university in Marrakesh. And she tells us all about the projects that she's working on here in Morocco, including projects to help with transportation, to help with uh, the prediction and modeling of coronavirus, and also to improve the quality of education and to um, track how well students are learning and comprehending material. So it's a great interview. She talks a lot about innovation and technology and uh, stay tuned. Okay, welcome to episode 83 of the Business in Morocco podcast. Today we have a special guest with us. This is Hajar Musanif. She is a professor in Marrakesh and she's a specialist in artificial intelligence and has a couple patents that she's earned and some papers she's published here in Morocco. So we're excited to hear about AI and her discoveries and her research and how it's going to impact business globally and eventually here in Morocco as well. So Hajar, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you very much for inviting me to this podcast. Well, my name is Hajar Mustanif. I'm professor of computer science at the Faculty of Sciences Similalia, Qadaiyad University in Marrakesh. I am specialized in AI. I had an engineering degree in telecommunications and then a PhD degree in computer science. Uh, my work on uh, PhD was about sensory network and vehicular networks. And uh, I started working on artificial intelligence in 2013. It was my love story with AI. And I'm going to tell you how this love story started because this is something really special. Well, I'm 100% Moroccan made. All my studies were in public Moroccan schools and universities. I graduated, I had my, my engineering degree in Rabat in 2005 and my PhD degree in Qadayad University in 2012. I joined the same university, Qadayad University, as a professor and researcher in 2013. I am now coordinating a master program in data science in which I teach statistics, machine learning, and big data analytics. This is basically my, my background. Can you tell us about you, what did you study in undergraduate at university? Yeah, I, at university, I, I actually was in engineering, engineering school in telecommunications. So basically it was like a network administration and network security. But I, in my PhD, my work was about wireless sensor networks and wireless, wireless um, I mean, vehicular networks and how we can make our road roads safer mm -hmm. but in 2013 I got interested in artificial intelligence and uh, uh, maybe I can tell you this story how my love story started with the with, with AI in 2013 in 2013 I had my uh, first uh, baby I'm married by the way and I'm mother of three kids mm. <laughs> which are driving me crazy but that's okay <laughs> join the club yeah, I had my first baby and as an active woman, I couldn't put up, you know, staying at the house and, and switching from a very active life to taking care of a tiny baby it was something that, that, you know, that made me like kind of baby blues. So I was watching my smartphone on the table and I was wondering, oh, you have a camera, you have, you can see me, you have a microphone, you can, you know, hear me, I, all my data is, uh, uh, 
passes through you? Why can't you react to my emotional state and maybe just support me? And there I had the idea of creating a smartphone that can react to human emotions and support you know, uh, people emotionally. And this is how my story with artificial intelligence started. And I said to myself, yeah, why not? All wow. the data, we have it through the smartphone and a smartphone can through the camera analyze our facial expressions. Through the microphone, we can get the audio, the pitch of the voice, the way the user speaks. So we can run algorithms on the voice to, to detect the emotional state just from the voice. There are also algorithms that can analyze text and we can see that with text mining and all the progress made with natural language processing. So the idea is to create a process that combines all this data together and come up with a decision about the emotional state and then have, for example, the smartphone that would react to this emotional state by pushing to the, user, to the user content to support him emotionally. It can be just a text telling, telling the user, oh, just keep going, everything is gonna be all right, you're the best, or just to encourage and motivate and coach, etc. And uh, th 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 this is how things started with AI. And then it was a fascinating field. I started to dig into machine learning algorithms and I started to work on this. And I carried on afterwards many projects related to AI, many crazy ideas I had. And I tried to implement them, get a sense of how they work. And uh, it was a beautiful story. And then I coordinated, I became the head of, um, the, I created this master program like four years ago in data science in which I attracted the community and students who are interested in the same field within my university and we are doing a really good job with, the, with, with, with the, those students. So Hajar, when you create something like the, this patent that the, the smartphone that senses the emotional state of the user, do you, do you consider the, the commercial implications? Uh, are you just driven by science or is there you know, a business aspect to it too where you think, wow, this is an opportunity. Advertisers would pay for this data because they can cater the advertisements to the state of the user. They can know when somebody's more likely to purchase. Yeah, this is, this is the business idea I had. <laughs> Actually, at first I didn't think business. But when thinking about the content that we can send to the, 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 the user, I thought about, for example, advertising and for women, for example, sending, I don't know, massage session or maybe mm -hmm. makeup uh, stuff or maybe uh, suggesting like a trip with the discounts, etc. So this is the idea, this is the business model, uh, the hidden business model of the, mm -hmm. of, the, of the application. Yeah, I thought about it actually. But the main idea was to support <laughs> emotionally the user. That's good. Yeah. I mean, you're a scientist, but this is the business in Morocco podcast. So we're thinking, okay, what are the opportunities here? <laughs> yeah. So Hajar, that was your, your first patent. Can, you have two patents, right? Could you tell us yeah, about the exactly. second one? Yeah. Uh, the second one uh, has, the idea came from my, my experience as a professor and as a teacher. Because as a teacher, I work in, for example, I teach in an amphitheater with like 300 people, 400 people. And we cannot get in real time the interaction and know whether the students understood what I was saying or not. So the idea came that why not have a chair, a magical chair that is connected to a lot of sensors and that in some way or the other could give us feedback about this, the degree of, of understanding of the students of, of um, I mean, 
with, with respect to what I teach. So the idea is that to have this chair equipped with different sensors and we collect facial expressions via camera and we have other uh, features that we collect like for example the way the person sits or is it um, uh, does he pay attention to the content and we collect also we have vibration sensors that co collect for example if the person is uh, just excited to go out or whatever mm -hmm. and we aggregate all this information again we collect data about students we carried out a prototype implementation in our university a class of 28 people and we collected the data and we analyzed it and we came up with a predictive model of the outcomes of the of the learning outcomes of the students which means that if you are a student and you sit on my chair I would know if you understood what I was telling you or not because wow. the professor has feedback like for example age we we can parameterize this each 15 minutes or 10 minutes telling them that in this classroom you have 70% who understood and 30% who didn't so he can mm -hmm. adjust his way of teaching like in real time and this mm -hmm. is something we patented and we we won the first prize of research here in Morocco because uh, thanks to this uh, this uh, this uh, project and for the first for the first patent I won the the for women in science the L'Oréal UNESCO for women in science prize in 2014. That's incredible. Congratulations. That's that's very, uh, very exciting. Our latest craziness is the first 100% Moroccan-made robot. <laughs> so this is something that we did last year, and it's, she's called Chama, superhuman with assistant in multiple activities, S-H-A-M-A. -A. So we choose mm -hmm. like a Moroccan Chama is a Moroccan name, and at the same time, it's the abbreviation for the humanoid robot. And uh, Shama can interact in Arabic. You can, she acts like a personal assistant. You can ask her about the weather. You can ask her about uh, uh, who invented, I don't know, the telephone or whatever. And she can answer. She can record meetings, etc. And we made it open source. I mean, we used only open source to build such, a, such, a, such robot. And there are videos about it. Uh, on YouTube. So when when you ask Shama a question, she searches for the best answer on the internet by herself and then gives you the the best response? It's not a simple search thing because this is what we call the natural language processing uh, field in, in, in artificial intelligence. It's not only a question answering system, but because you can ask, for example, a question, but you Another user can ask the same question, but in another way. So there are some similarity measure calculation, and there are it's it's it's, a, it's not only a question, and she finds an answer. Of course, she has a local database, so she can work without internet. But if she doesn't know some something, she would look up in the internet to get to get the answer. Mm. But basically, we build up her question answering system within. Uh, the, the within in the hard disk which which she she had so so we can basically cover most of intuitive and natural question a person would ask like for example when you meet someone you would ask the name ask how are you where are you from you know basic questions and you mm -hmm. can ask there are other complicated i would say questions related to the field and each time we plug into her different databases so, so she can pull the answer answer from but there is a lot what the challenge about shama is that she interacts in arabic 
And as you know, it's not easy to, to, to have like to build something in, in Arabic, especially in the machine learning field, because we need like um, data sets we, we can train her uh, uh, from. And usually we can find many resources on English, but not on the Arabic uh, language. So what, what would you see being the, uh, the implications of, of something like, like Shema? How would you use a robot like that in, in the world? Uh, in in a world, she, we can, I can imagine her like uh, assisting children to to do their their homework. I can see mm -hmm. her, for example, in 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 a store, you know, presenting I don't know clothes or stuff mm -hmm. or advertising. Uh, this is the way I imagine. Like this is when you see a robot, especially women. This is something fancy, and just the fact that you are interacting with a robot, it can attract people. And mm -hmm. and uh, you know, you want to 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 see how a robot would react to questions, uh, uh, crazy questions, and see yeah. how the robot would react. When you say uh, we, you're using the the term we created this. Yeah. Who who who's included in that? Yeah, I never, ever, I, I, I think as a researcher, one of the, the qualities a researcher uh, should have is humility. And especially as a scientist, you can, you can attribute everything to yourself because this is not only you. When it comes to scientific research, there, it's, also, it's always a continuation of, of something that other people started. But it's true that I have a team. I have a team of my students and I also supervised many PhD students like for each year. And students, I have 24 students in my master program in the first year and 24 in the second year. So 48 students, computer science specialists and data science specialists. And I have um, eight PhD students, each one working on different, on different uh, projects. So I supervise my work. It's mainly supervision, uh, innovation. I give ideas, but the, 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 I mean, the, the work is basically done by the, I mean, the implementation and the, the coding is done by the student and the PhD student. I just a kind of orchestrator. That's, that's why I don't want to attribute everything to myself because it's not only me. I have, mm -hmm. I'm supported by a team of wonderful, amazing students and PhD students. And there are also, uh, sometimes I, uh, when I need engineers or, or um, consultancy, I just require it and I get the help from, from, from those people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So artificial intelligence, machine learning, big data, these are all very popular topics around the world, Silicon Valley, finance, um, especially in the United States and Europe. But can you tell us how is AI being used in Morocco? Can you give us a few examples of some projects that are happening? Yeah. Uh, you should know that AI I, is the, the future of this world. I see it as the future of, of this world. And as the person coming from developing country, Morocco, I can see in AI an opportunity to like catch up with, with what's happening around the world. Because with AI, we don't have we don't necessarily need sophisticated equipment or whatever. We we have we all we need is to know how to program algorithms. So it's basically intelligence and the way we use this intelligence. And if you if you are good at innovating and creating and using algorithms, then you can do nicely 
in, in the AI field. Just That's why I'm promoting it in Morocco. In Morocco, at the, this, uh, I'm leading, currently leading two projects that the government uh, launched. One is about road safety. It was started in 2017. So basically, we want to leverage this technology, big data, uh, IoT, Internet of Things, or artificial intelligence, and see how it can improve road safety in Morocco. And we actually built, a, uh, we have as equipment uh, mm, a simulator, a traffic simulator, and a driving simulator. So instead of using our cars, because it's difficult to carry out a, like a long scale implementation using everybody's cars, that's not possible. So we purchased like a driving simulator and we got people driving. And the idea is to extract insight about the driving behavior of the users. And based on the way they behave on the road, we can know how Moroccan drivers in general behave so that we can predict, for example, how, if there will be an accident, if that, that driver behaves badly, if he honks a lot, if, for example, he used the brakes a lot, if the, he changes gears in, in a bad manner. So, and we aggregate all that information and use machine learning algorithms to build a predictive model and gain insight into how Moroccans and how, how Moroccans drive in a sense that, for example, the government can penalize those who don't behave well and maybe give a certain rewards to those who behave well. And we achieved nice results. We published just in 2020 recently, uh, three international journal papers in very reputable journals. We are very proud with high impact factor. And uh, I mean, it's, it's an, I mean, wonderful research we've been doing with, with, with this road safety project. The other project is related to the situation with coronavirus. Uh, we are attending what, what I call the COVIDization of research because mm. everybody is starting to work on, on you know, guiding research through the situation to adapt to the situation with COVID. So I, I was thinking in this context, how can artificial intelligence help in tackling this virus. So the idea is to build a simulator that would predict how the virus would propagate with respect to different strategies. Like for example, if we, if, if we gain insight into how people interact, we can gain insight into how the virus would propagate. So by modeling the interaction between individuals, we gain insight into how the, the, the virus would propagate. And in Morocco, the context is different from other countries. Because in, in Morocco, we have families that live, for example, in the same house, have mother, father, grandfather, grandchildren. So if one person works outside the house and come, comes back, he would contaminate uh, everybody. And so there is this also, psycholo not psychological, but behavioral aspect and interactions, which makes Morocco, a, we cannot just take any model and, and, and apply it to Morocco. That's why we decided to model at the micro level how people behave, where they work, how do they move. We modeled the contact rate, we, the contact, what I call them, the movement of individuals, and we 
have all this gathered into one model and we simulate and we have a, like we come up with a simulator that would model how the propagate with how the virus would propagate with respect if for example if we reduce the mobility to 20 percent what would happen if we use lockdown what would how the virus would propagate if we test other strategies how the virus would propagate so this is the basic idea of this project so i'm currently leading these two projects and we are achieving nice results so you've been studying the the data um, regarding coronavirus you've been studying the models trying to predict the way that the things would unfold so my question and I, and I and I still I've had this question for many months now my my parents live in California in the United States and when you look at California it's very similar to Morocco in the sense of the size of the population the geography the climate um, there are large cities but then there's also you know the suburbs and um, you know mountains and deserts but my question is, if I had told you in March that in August, California would have more than 10,000 deaths from coronavirus and, and Morocco would have less than 800, would that have surprised you? Would, would you have predicted that California would have more than 10 times as many deaths from coronavirus? It, it's, it's hard to predict the model, the machine learning model, would not predict the number of deaths, but would predict how the virus would propagate because mm. death is related again to many other parameters such as the, the age, is it an aging population, the, the vulnerability of, of, mm -hmm. of this population. I mean, in terms of, do they have, for example, diabetes? Do they have like chronic illnesses? So it's really complicated to, to input all this into, into the model, because mm -hmm. if we want, it's like a, a not, an additional layer that we would add. Maybe it has to do also with genes. So it's, it's a new virus. We cannot really tackle it from all aspects, but we can, if we can have like a broad idea, how it would propagate, or if we reduce, for example, the contact rate, or if we reduce the mobility, how would that impact the virus propagation? That's already, I mean, uh, that would give you like a general idea about the things and maybe you can uh, do measures and adjust them uh, accordingly. So of course, in, with Corona, this is a new virus. We, we don't know that how it behaves. It also mutates. Is it the same virus you have, uh, the same virus you have there, or is it a mutation that we have here in Morocco? This mm. is something that, 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 that should be, I mean, if we want to understand it, we should really model at all levels and modeling can be very, very challenging if we, can, if we use this approach. What are the models telling you now for Morocco? What, 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 are they telling you something about the future of the virus in Morocco? Uh, okay, we st well, the, the simulations we've done so far are, are related to Casablanca city because we cannot okay. In Morocco, we have an additional problem, that of the accuracy of the data. And this is a problem I was confronted to even when I wanted to run my first prediction models using deep learning. Well, what we noticed is that if we use the models of other countries that are at the same situations with the same number of tests and the same number of infections, there are discrepancies between the, the results. So we don't know at which level this this discrepancy comes from mm. is it the accuracy of the numbers that are declared is it do we test enough to get 
you know, an, a correct, relatively correct uh, number of people who are infected. So there are additional parameters that we cannot take into account. But what we did is that we took the study, the Casablanca, and we divided into district, districts. And we modeled the interactions between these districts. For example, if we have industrial district, how would that impact people commuting, etc.? And how would the, the virus propagate? We modeled using what we call graph analysis. So it's like you have like nodes and you have links connecting those nodes. And the, the, the stronger the link is, the, the, the connection is, is higher. So we try to use this modeling to gain insight into different, the, to, an idea about how the virus would, would propagate. And we noticed that, for example, for people who commute or who, who, who are, for, for example, they work in a city and go to another city, you cannot just uh, use the, 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 the numbers or the, the, the contamination rate in one city. Everything is connected. You cannot isolate and say, for example, in Casablanca, it's this number and this number. Because people in Casablanca, they don't live in Casablanca. They commute, they come from other cities. So the interaction is, is, is we have to do it at a much broader scale and not only at the, the level of a city or even a district. Mm -hmm. So Hajar, with all the uh, research you're doing, all the, the, the discoveries you're making, how do you decide whether you should go into the corporate field or stay in education? I mean, some of the stuff you're talking about, like your patent for predictive driver behavior, I know insurance companies would pay big money to know what's the likelihood of this person specifically getting into an accident or the, the magical chair you're describing that, that predicts the, the person's understanding of the content. This could be used to analyze the effectiveness of teachers, companies, especially moving into a, a large amount of remote work, will wanna know, is our employee engaged? Are they really understanding what's going on in these meetings or are they completely disconnected? And me as a, as a trainer, now shifting to doing a lot of work online, you don't have the ability to see how are people sitting? Are they, are they bored? Are they engaged? You don't see everybody's face anymore. And so you don't have that feedback. There's a lot of commercial implications, but through your career, you've remained in the educational sector. As a, as a young person that wants to use research, but also wants to earn an income, how do you decide whether to go in the corporate route or to stay in the educational sector? Yeah. So, uh, uh, I've been now teaching for 15 years. So yeah. I started in 2015 as an engineer and I started engineer teaching. And then I defended my PhD in 2012. Uh, 2013, started teaching as a professor officially. But it's true that I, uh, I built many prototypes and those are just few ones. I mean, mm -hmm. I also built prototypes related to healthcare. But the thing is, scientific research in Morocco is very difficult and challenging. It's very difficult in a sense that there is a gap between what's happening in the education field and what's happening in the industri in industry. There is education and there is industry and there is a certain gap between the two. So at the university, those projects were, I mean, at the prototype level. But I agree with you that we, I need to scale them up so they can, for example, uh, choose maybe pick up one and go for startup. But the thing is, 
I don't want to stick to one project. I am an innovator. Mm -hmm. I like mm -hmm. working on different things. And each time I come up with an idea, I just want to put it into practice. So I'm just, maybe I haven't found that thing that would, you know, uh, I, the thing I would feel so passionate about that I would, you know, give up everything and give up all the research and go and do my startup and do my maybe company or, or and start this entrepreneurship uh, adventure. And this is something that is haunting me, actually. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> this is something I'm thinking seriously, seriously about because mm -hmm. I see my efforts as if reduced to prototypes and I don't, I'm not satisfied, even though it's great and fancy and you get, you know, you inspire people because I get, I have a community of many students and many researchers who, you know, who like you, who admire your work and who are inspired what you do. And they, there are some who purchase their ideas, but, uh, I would, I, I'm seriously thinking of doing something which is mine and going further and expanding mm. my horizon because I'm kind of person who doesn't like to stick into just one thing. I innovate, mm. I create, and I just want to go for everything which, uh, uh, you know, grow, grow up and extend my comfort zone. I, I'm not the kind of person who would just, you know, do teaching, do research and go home. No, I have ideas. I I implement them, I go for them, but it's true that I need to bridge that gap between just prototyping and patenting mm -hmm. and maybe extend it to achieve more. Why not a startup and maybe have something which is similar not to Facebook or what? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's feasible. I mean, I all, with all my students, I, I, I teach them not only uh, machine learning and big data analytics, I teach them to go for, to purchase their dreams and to dream big and and, and to be problem solvers and to, to the sky is the limit. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. the opportunities are huge with AI. The opportunities are really huge. I mean, you mm -hmm. take any field of your choice, there is a place of AI there. So mm -hmm. yeah, I seriously think about it. Maybe next time I, <laughs> you would find me like running a company or something because I don't stick to one thing and uh, yeah. This is the this is the the magic of uh, of being about I mean passion being passionate about what you do and just willing to to learn even more and 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 expand and yeah yeah you you mentioned a there's a, a gap there's a separation between the university and academics and and the business world and um, you know I think it would be a good thing if they were to get closer together so that students are more prepared to do the jobs that businesses need and businesses are able to communicate to universities, hey, these are the type of people that we need to work in our companies and these are the skills that they need to, to come with to our company. So, so my question for you is, you know, even taking into consideration coronavirus, what is the university doing right today and, and how does it need to change to offer a better service to its students going forward? Yeah, this is an excellent question. With the master program I'm running, I'm trying to apply all things you said. Instead of waiting for companies to go for me, I do a lot of advertising. I, 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 I put the students on real projects so that they can have something real to show. I 
they have like for example i advise them to create youtube channel to put their project there to have like a github rep repository for their code so they can have something to show and this strategy paid off actually because they are really employable they are students and they work on projects on pro i mean real projects of companies and when they reach for example their second year where they should go for an internship they 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 are recruited immediately but the mm. thing is they are recruited internationally and not here i have like 50 percent of them they don't prefer to stay in morocco they expand they want to expand their 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 i mean their horizons not in morocco because because the i mean uh, the, there is again this gap between technology and what we have in morocco mm. we are trying to get basic things and when we talk about sensors and AI and advanced, it's, it's as if you're talking about something which is uh, like science fiction. They don't really see the, the, the value. Yes, there are research projects and there are companies that are starting to leverage AI. But again, here's big companies, not the, 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 the medium uh, companies or, or startups. But there is a lot, there is a lot of work. At my scale, I go to companies and tell them, look, here is what we can do at the university. If you want, like people, if you want those skills, tell us what are the problems you have and we can see what solutions we can offer and start the implementation while they are students so they can be directly employable. I do all, 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 all this, but again, at my scale, at personal scale, it's not, not something, uh, easy we should multiply and there should be like a um, strategy at the government level so that the university is connected to the business world and connected to to industry because one person one hand it's not enough yeah yeah that's fantastic i think you're what you're doing is such a great service to your students and they're lucky to have you as a as a professor and as a guide because there's often a, a total breakdown and people are learning things that are not relevant and useful in the actual commercial world. But I love that you're helping them work on real projects, you're in touch with businesses, and you're preparing your students to be successful in the world. Now, you mentioned, Hajar, that a lot of your students are recruited overseas. And Morocco, especially in engineering, has an incredible international reputation. And a lot of Moroccan engineers do get recruited out of the country. What are your thoughts on this, this brain drain and how can Morocco attract and keep uh, more of its talent in the country so that we can develop more here? Yeah, that, that, that's an excellent question again. And we have this problem not only with my students working on the AI field, but with engineers in general. They prefer mm -hmm. not to stay in Morocco and they look for opportunities abroad. But the truth is, they are not attracted by staying here because they don't see an evolution in their career, career and the salary is not that good. I mean, if you compare, for example, take an engineer who goes to a company and they tell, tell them you, you will have 800 euros or 800 dollars. And when he goes, for example, abroad, he can get like 3,000 or 4,000 dollars. You see that there is, there is, and as a data, data scientist, for example, or an engineer working in, in, on AI, the salary gets a, even higher. So salary is different and career evolution is different. And 
people mentality is different because we have this culture of a boss rather than a leader. So you mm. want you want just I mean maybe I'm not I should not generalize, but in many companies in Morocco there is this hierarchical structure where there are no um, no getting together, no solidarity, no innovative thinking, no innovation process that is that is put. You don't get with your employees and try to brainstorm in novel ideas. You want just things to be done, executed, work from eight to ten and from two to six, and that's it. I mean, you don't you don't um, get people passionate about what they do, and this is the problem. Instead of building a climate of of, of, of work in which you feel you can give the best version of yourself, uh, a climate in which, for example, you can innovate, a climate in which you, you feel you're doing something which is valuable and you put your energy and your, and your hard work into it, you find yourself doing you know, more monotonic stuff and boring stuff and you just want to get the salary at the end and that's it, go to sleep. And this is the difference in culture in in culture at work is really important. I noticed it with my students. With my students and my PhD students, I'm one of them. I'm not a teacher. I learn from them and they learn from me. I ask them if I don't know something. And I learn a lot from them because they are excellent programmers, they are excellent coders, they are young, they go and search and sometimes they come up with something I don't know. Uh, so instead of saying, oh yes, I am this and this, no. Please tell me, and I tell them, okay, go, take, take a pen and explain to me how this works. Do a presentation, and I encourage, and I mentor, and I coach, and I'm just one of them in, in like, maybe family is not the word, but in, in, in an atmosphere and a climate on, of giving and, and receiving, not only like uh, uh, trying to be, uh, I don't know, the boss, but mm -hmm. try to bring, to make them grow and make them develop and make them give the best version of themselves and encourage them and give them ideas. And this is the way it works. You cannot just do it one way. You have to give and receive and interact. And, and there is a, a whole, um, I don't know, an a mentality and an entrepreneurial mentality yeah yeah this is this is one of the reasons that you know we keep doing the podcast is to really promote and encourage young entrepreneurs in morocco because you know my, my personal opinion is is that the future for a lot of young people is not in big companies as you mentioned that often the career path is is blocked or it's not attractive but there are a lot of opportunities to do startup businesses and to be an entrepreneur and, and to not only sell your services and your products here in Morocco, but to go international. So, you know, that's one of the, the goals of the podcast is to give exposure um, to these types of entrepreneurs and, and to have people like yourself on the podcast who can educate us about uh, new technologies and things that are going on in Morocco. Um, so we really thank you for, for coming on the podcast and sharing um, your expertise and your your, your ideas and uh, and what's going on in artificial intelligence and innovation here in Morocco. We really thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much, Hajar. You're you're an inspiration on so many levels, and uh, yeah, it's it's amazing to hear your story and what you're working on, and we're excited to hear hear where your projects take you next.
Yes, please tell us if you uh, go and start a company. Yeah, yeah, I'm starting crazy ideas. I mean, uh, it's, uh, I never stop. And I think one should never stop growing. And it starts with learning and continue, continue to learn and learn and learn. Because if you measure your success, you should, not, you should more measure it with the impact you leave behind. I mean, this is mm. the idea you should have in mind, how to create impact and how to create uh, value. And this is what... I mean, what I try to transmit to my students and to all people who interact with, with me and my community. I mean, yeah, you should, you should create value, you should create impact, and you should enjoy what, what you do. Absolutely. Mm. Thanks again. Thanks, Hajar. All right, another amazing guest. Um, Someone who's so talented, um, so smart, uh, building all kinds of technology. I mean, I didn't even realize that this level of research and innovation was going on in Morocco. I'm so happy that we were able to get Hajar on as a guest. Yeah, no kidding. She is working on all kinds of amazing stuff. Clearly an incredible woman. Like she's, she's brilliant, she's very driven. Uh, you know, she's a mother with three kids and is accomplishing so much in her career. But I also love her, her values and her heart. You know, she's not looking to make a million dollars, you know, sell one of her patents and just cash out rich. She's looking to impact the world, including her students. I mean, I wish I had more professors like her. She's so humble and she's full of curiosity, discovering new things, loves to go into new fields. I, I'm jealous. And I'm sure some of our listeners will think, ah, oh, how do I get into her classes? I need to transfer to Marrakesh and go to her school because it'd be incredible to have a prof like her. Yeah. And I mean, she's working on such practical problems too. I mean, I fully support anything that will make the driving situation in Casablanca a better <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> improve the quality of life because it's so stressful. Um, I really don't like it. So anything that's make it safer and less stressful, I'm I'm all for that. Um, yeah, that that was my background. That's what originally brought me to Morocco was working in in the traffic safety industry. And the company I came with, we designed products to help increase highway safety. But what Hajar is describing could make a huge difference. I mean, it's about on average 10 people a day die due to traffic related traffic accidents in Morocco, which is a staggering number based on the number of vehicles on the road. Mm -hmm. And so if she was able to improve the driver training and traffic patterns and penalize poor drivers or offer them better training, you know, those kind of implications could really save lives. Yeah. I also love what she said about artificial intelligence could allow a country like Morocco to really leapfrog uh, on a global scale and be, be impacting the world economy because you don't need a lot of resources. You know, one person sitting there with a laptop writing programs and, and creating predictive algorithms can can make a huge impact in the world and i love that that perspective recognizing that ai uh, can have a massive impact and so it allows any nation whether they have huge 
uh, economies, GDPs, and infrastructure available, anyone with a laptop and an internet connection can can create something that changes changes the the world. So that's really exciting to think about. Absolutely.